and desks and dusters, PBJ Cleaning Depot's very own podcast. We are going to have so much fun on this adventure together. We are going to talk to our reps. We are going to talk to my fellow employees. And we're going to see what's going on right here in our own community. Good morning, North Perth. And what a beautiful day it is. I woke up feeling fabulous. I woke up knowing it's going to be a great day. Why? Because it's January 28th, 2021 which means it's Bell Let's Talk Day. That's right. Today happens to be one of my favorite days of the year. I'm going to tell you why. Real quick, we're going to have story time right off the bat. So 10 years ago, Bell Media decided they were going to start Bell Let's Talk Day, where when you use the hashtag originally on Facebook and Twitter, they would donate five cents towards mental health initiatives and services here in Canada nationwide. We raised millions of dollars, and over the past 10 years, we have been raising tens of millions of dollars, and it is just absolutely amazing what we can do when we all come together. Now, 10 years ago, I happened to be an intern at Bell Media in Scarborough at the National Station, and it was the first ever Bell Let's, uh, Bell Let's Talk Day, so I got to work at Bell Media during the first ever Bell Let's Talk Day. Now, I was in my second year of college. I would have been like 20 years old. And I remember sitting that morning editing the Canada AM interviews. And there was an interview that I was editing and it was with Michael Landsberg. And of course I love Landsberg. So I'm sitting there and I'm listening to Landsberg talk. And and I, I knew in the past a little bit about Michael Landsberg, but this was the first time I'd ever heard him open up about his struggles with mental health. And as I'm sitting there editing this interview, things are going through my mind. And all of a sudden I was just like, something just clicked in my head. And I was like, oh my God, it feels like he's directly talking to me. So everything he was saying kind of just like clicked and no one had ever talked about mental health like this in this sort of a light in my life. It was always kind of a negative if you had mental health, you were crazy. There was something wrong with you. Like it was your problem. It was your fault. But the way Michael talked about it was so different. And so I decided that day when I got back to my hotel, when I was doing my internship in uh, Scarborough there, that I was going to call my doctor. And 10 years ago, I was diagnosed with depression. And since then, I've been treated with other mental health uh, issues as well and, and diagnoses. But that's where I'm at. And in the past 10 years, I have gone through different medications, different counseling, different therapies, coping mechanisms. I mean, every day is a different day. But ever since Bell Let's Talk Day 10 years ago, my life has dramatically changed for the better. And not every day is sunshine and roses and daisies and pooping unicorns. No, that stuff doesn't happen. It's still a battle. But it's different because I now know what's going on. I know how to treat it. I have different coping mechanisms. They don't always work. They're not perfect. But it's better. It is a lot better than how I was before. And we have a fabulous guest here today on the, on the Desks and Dusters. 
I can't believe that she agreed to sit down and chat with me. She is such an incredible human being. I'm not even sure she is human. She just seems to be one of those people that has a longer, longer, longer list of things that she has accomplished in life than things that she hasn't. That's the kind of person Kendra Fisher is. Now, Kendra Fisher is a King Carden native, and I don't really want to give away her story before we get into it because she opens up so much. But one of my favorite things that Kendra talks about is when she's talking, she speaks her truth. She speaks her honesty. She's not talking for everyone in the mental health community because everything we go through is different. She is just sharing her story and her truth to help others. She has created a platform for herself and she's used it for good. And I think that that's absolutely amazing. And I absolutely love it. So without further ado, Kendra, let's go. All right, everybody, we are back here on Desks and Dusters with Kendra Fisher, who is a Ken Carden native. Kendra, welcome to the podcast. Thank you kindly for having me. Thank you very much for joining us here today. Now, Kendra, I found you on Facebook. I believe it was you did an event that my boyfriend covered. He works for CKNX News in Wingham. And I think he found you and kind of introduced me to you. And I kind of saw what your posts were all about. And I was like, this is... This is a person I need in my life that uh, to give me that kind of inspiration that we're on similar paths. So why don't you kind of introduce yourself a little bit? I can't introduce myself better than you just did. I mean, if I'm an inspiration and somebody you need in your life, why would I want to be anything else? Exactly, right? <laughs> like that's such a great thing. It's always it's always those those stories when you hear people talk that if you're able to reach out and you just impact that one person, that makes a difference. Just that one person. It's literally the the reason I started sharing my story. So it's uh, Cole's notes version story. I think you told me you're in Listowel, right? Yeah, we're Listowel. right. Yep. Love it. I, so I grew up. I actually spent a lot of time in Listowel because I played uh, fastball at a Palmerston, and nice. a lot of the girls on the team were there. So lots of lots of love for the area. Um, I grew up King Carden, like you said, and uh, primary sport as I got along in life was hockey. Um, my goals were pretty simple. I wanted to go to the Olympics. <laughs> it was, uh, that, <clears throat> that was my life plan. That's where I was going to go and I was going to do anything I could to get there. And, uh, it, it, uh, it, it certainly worked out for me. I made it all the way through to, uh, being a carded member of team Canada's national hockey program. And unfortunately, uh, my later, later teens, I, I, I actually got into a car accident, and broke my back. And uh, I, I don't, I don't think that that's what caused anything for me, but it certainly will put me in a position where I was kind of laid up and not going through my, pardon me one second. <clears throat> I'm not going through my kind of normally active routine and connected routine and everything that uh, I've come to realize now was kind of helping me tread water at the time, as far as my mental health went. Um, so, uh, I started to develop some symptoms that I didn't understand and got into the, the journey that is our, our mental health care system and was trying to figure out what was wrong with me and got sent to every specialist you could imagine and told how healthy I was until after, uh, a significant amount of self-advocating ended up, uh, out at, my team Canada tryouts. And unfortunately the day I made team Canada was the day I had to quit the team uh, at that point. Um, my symptoms, uh, 
where everything extreme that you could imagine for clinical depression, OCD, agoraphobia, uh, panic disorder, panic attacks. And uh, I just, I got to a point where I couldn't function anymore. And I spent uh, literally five years after my diagnosis stuck in my apartment, couldn't work, couldn't go to school, uh, couldn't leave my apartment, um, couldn't be alone. And uh, that just kind of became the sentence that became my life. And after five years, realized I didn't see the point in that life. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't want to quote unquote live like that. I didn't, uh, I didn't see any point in that. And I made a choice that day and I have no clue where I found it in me to make the, the choice I did make, but ended up back at my doctor and entered into the journey on finding the right medication and then started to actually give a little more effort in my psychology sessions and, and started to really understand my illness and what I was dealing with. And, and then over the next five years, kind of opened myself up to anything anybody would, would suggest could potentially benefit me. And so, you know, learned how to make my physical activity work for my mental health, learned about nutrition and how it affects it, learned about sleep, mindfulness, meditation, yoga, naturopaths, um, and then just got obsessed with recovery and got to a place where I live very happily and, and very productively and, and started sharing my journey because like you said, sometimes it takes one person. And I, uh, I remember for me, it was, uh, it was the suicide of a 14 year old girl that just kind of put me in my place and reminded me that I was part of the problem. I was part of the reason people didn't know that we could live with this. I was part of the reason that, that people didn't have the information or the education. And uh, so I, I started on the journey of sharing my story. And for the past 10 years, I've traveled the world doing just that. That's amazing. And, you know, when you think about different things, like as myself, a former absolute horrible hockey player, you know, <laughs> of, of playing big and making it big. And I idolize the absolute crap out of players like Haley and Cassie. And now we've got MVP and, and Spooner and all those girls. So like you get there and like, I've, I've read the books. Like I read, I just finished reading Sammy Joe Small's book and I've read the Haley Wickenheiser gold medal diary book. And I've read so much on women's hockey. So I know what it takes to get there. Like I not actually, but I've read about it. So I know <laughs> the efforts and the training and all that. And I'm just like, Oh my God, how can you go through that? And then to make the team and that have to be the day that you hang them up, that yeah. itself, the mental impact that that would have had on you. It was, uh, else it, it was heartbreak. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's, that was heartbreak. That's, uh, that's, that's life-changing for anybody. I had, uh, I, I was lucky. I, I, because of team Canada got in touch with, uh, my psychologist who ended up being my lifelong psychologist up until this just recently and uh uh you know she was pretty big on making sure that I, I kept one commitment in my life it, it was kind of the you're not going to lay down and die I don't care what it is and, and my parents were in agreement nobody cared what it was it was just I was going to have something on my schedule there, mm -hmm. and uh so I was lucky because I uh, hockey was what I chose um it was really the only thing I could still force myself to do and it was hell it, it would take me 
three hours to get to the rink and it would take me three hours to get home. I'd be pulling over every 10 minutes having a panic attack and, you know, I'd be on the rink and, and, you know, my trainers knew what was going on, but nobody else knew. And, and I'd be in the net with, you know, like a, a water bottle full of salts or electrolytes just to kind of calm me down and, and get rid of that kind of dizzy woozy feeling or, you know, I'd be calling timeout and, and fixing my pad because I was having a panic attack and I needed to do some deep breathing. And, you know, I was fortunate because I, I was able to continue to play at the highest level. So, I mean, those those were my teammates. Sammy Joe was my goalie partner for years and years. And uh, Wick and I have a, a bone to pick. She scored on me with, you know, I think it was like two seconds left in the last semis of nationals I played against her. So it's... Uh, you have those moments and, and obviously they were some of the, some of the greatest moments of my, my youth, but uh, you know, as, as hard as it was to lose that dream, I wouldn't trade this journey for anything. And it's always good to hear those kind of stories in the end. I mean, 10 years ago, I was in my final year of college interning at uh, Bell Media in Toronto and it happened to be the first ever Bell Let's Talk Day. So mm. I remember doing, um, re-editing Michael Landsberg's morning interview and I got lost in his words and I was just like, oh my God, that's me. And then that was the first day it clicked that I was just like, maybe I'm not weak. Maybe yeah. I'm not pathetic the way my brain's been telling me, like, you know, everyone goes through this. Everyone has these wild, crazy thoughts that they can't control in their brain and it never shuts up. And it's always putting them down and there's all this negativity. I just can't handle it. And everyone else can. Yeah. And that's when the, the motto sick, not weak came into my life. So what was life like for you pre-diagnosis versus post-diagnose? Um, I, I, I want to say I felt untouchable, but that, that would be, I think that I liked that everybody assumed I was untouchable. I, I think I liked the the uh, image that comes with being a an international athlete um, because it, it is that it is people assume that you're just this rock star that you know everything just kind of slides off you and and uh, it, it, that's a pretty it, it's a pretty easy role to hide behind because it, uh, it really takes the legwork out of having to try to hide anything. As long as I, I didn't melt down in front of anybody, then everybody just assumed it. You know, she's the goalie. She's the, she's the confident one. She handles pressure. She, you know, she's got Team Canada going for her. She's got friends and family. And, you know, nobody, nobody makes those assumptions. And then, and then you end up having to kind of wade through the, well, what does she have to be depressed about? Or what does she have to be anxious about? Because look at her life. And it's kind of like, well, sorry, but it, it doesn't work that way. You know, this isn't, this isn't uh, a choice. This wasn't like a, you know, one day I woke up and had this brilliant idea that I was going to fall apart. Like it was, you know, something that, that people assume that, you know, you have some say in, or you, you have some, some part in and I mean albeit there's things that we need to do to stay healthy once we're diagnosed but when you're not diagnosed yet and you have no clue why things are affecting you the way they are and why your body is responding the way it is um 
it's not a failure. It's, it's, it's just simply not knowing. And so for me growing up, I mean, like I said, before my accident, inadvertently, I think my lifestyle was just keeping me above water. I mean, I, I was very active in, in sports and, and, and any sport they'd let me play. I was always outside. I was always with people. I was, you know, I was brought up in a family where we sat down and ate our meals together at the table and we didn't watch TV endlessly. And um, so, I mean, all of those things that now I'm aware I need to keep consistent in my days in order to stay healthy, uh, they were just kind of my lifestyle. And um, very brief version of a weird, long sorted story. My mom's an ex-politician uh, under the, the conservative government. And that didn't really bode well for me when I was, uh, when I was in a small town. And, and we all know how the relationships between teachers and the conservative government go. And we all know how. So, you know, I ended up in a bit of a, a situation where I, I was forced to move to Toronto to graduate from high school because it wasn't going to happen where I was. Um, and so all of a sudden I'm out of my routine. I'm away from my family. Um, I'm still young. I'm 17 years old living in Toronto. My mother's elected. So she's there half the week and then heading home on the weekends and, and, it was a lot of change. It was a lot of, a lot of change. And all of a sudden I'm in a condo in Toronto. And so I'm not getting outside as much and you don't have to go anywhere because there's a grocery store in the building and there's a, you know, a restaurant downstairs. And so now I'm isolating myself without realizing it. And I'm kind of losing those connections. And I'm a 17 year old who's clearly not going to like cook myself three square meals a day and sit down at the table and, and not turn on the TV and, and not take advantage of the fact that I'm a 17 year old or an 18 year old who has a condo in Toronto. And so I just, I think without realizing it, I gave up kind of one by one and then I got injured. So I wasn't playing hockey and um, all of a sudden I'm laying on the couch doing everything wrong. You know, I'm, I'm doing everything that feeds, um, poor mental health. I'm, I'm doing everything that feeds depression and everything that feeds anxiety and feeds panic and feeds OCD and feeds agoraphobia. And now all of a sudden it's a perfect storm. Exactly. And so it, it kind of came to a head and then, and then the journey of diagnosis just, it, it just kind of, uh, it, it amplified everything. I mean, it was, uh, it started with rushing to the emergency room, thinking I'm having a heart attack, thinking I'm having a stroke. And then it, it goes to, well, the cardiologist says I'm perfect. And the, you know, the neurologist says there's nothing wrong with my brain. And the gastrointestinal specialist says there's nothing wrong with my stomach. There's no reason for me to be feeling sick all the time. Um, and so I did what any teenager would do. And, and I partied more. I, I drank. I just, I, I chased that numb. I chased the anything to deal with having to be terrified 24 mm seven. -hmm. And uh, then without even realizing it, you know, I I'm on my way out the door to team Canada camp after I recover from a, a fractured back and I'm in the worst possible headspace I've ever been in my life. And I'm 
instantly detoxing because <laughs> I am no longer partying every day because I'm at Team Canada camp. And uh, I, I, it wasn't good. It, and it just, it, it fell apart and it fell apart in a way that um, it didn't make any sense to me because everybody was telling me I was healthy. Everybody told me I was fine. And I have never felt further from fine in my life. And it was just kind of this, no, like I can't, I can't hide this anymore. I can't pretend anymore. I can't, I can't fight it anymore. I can't breathe. Like I, I literally, I just couldn't even get through my day and remember to breathe consistently. <laughs> like I just, it was done. I was done. And uh, that was it. That was, that was the beginning of the end and the end of the beginning. And it was just kind of like, you know what? <laughs> We're, uh, here, here goes a whole new journey and thank God it worked out the way it did. Exactly. Yeah. And like for those who are at the beginning of their journey and, and everything like that, like a diagnosis doesn't cure you. It doesn't give you everything. Once you get that diagnosis, it gives you answers and then it's up to you and the medical professionals to move forward and make sure that you're on the right path. I can't tell you how many times my counseling has changed the type of therapy that I've done has changed or the medication that I'm on has changed or upped or new pills are added. It's still a constant journey, but at the same time, once you get that diagnosis, at least there's answers and now you have something to do because I've been there too, where I've been, where I've gone to the hospital, I've gone to the doctor. I'm super sick. I feel horrible like what's wrong with me and all the tests come back you're healthy you're perfectly fine it's just like yeah. please don't write me down as a hypochondriac because that's complete opposite of what I want to be yeah but at the same time I know my body and I know something is wrong with me well and it's not only that too but when you look at the medical profession and and not that I want to share this information but it's it's valid and it's true um you know I've had to change doctors because of my diagnosis my my uh <laughs> oh, I, for a few reasons and 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 I won't share names because that serves nobody but I mean my first doctor when I was diagnosed with anxiety and and uh, panic you know all of a sudden she didn't even treat me as a patient anymore she just treated me as as a a problem almost and I remember you know she missed a, a heart irregularity that was found very easily afterwards um, she discredited uh, something that turned out to be a ruptured cyst in my ovary. Um, just because to her, it was, oh, yeah, it's just your anxiety. Like, it's mm -hmm. just you, you, that stomach pain again. It's just your anxiety and, and those heart palpitations. It's just a panic attack. Um, which is unfortunate because you get to this precarious place where you have to play the medical system. And that's, that's not beneficial to anybody. I mean, when I walk into the emergency room, I want to be able to say to the doctor on staff, look, I take a Fexer because I have anxiety and depression. I'm telling you this, not because this is my anxiety or depression right now, which I can very much distinguish at this point in my life. I'm telling you this because you should know that I'm on medication because mm -hmm. it will help you to do your job better. But then the second I do that, I also know that I've now removed myself from a traditional triage process and put myself into a different, uh, a different standing. And, and it's not to say that that's true of everything. And it's not to say that that is standard, but it still exists out there. 
and it and it's uh, it's tough because I mean at the end of the day a lot of doctors a lot of nurses you know psychology psychiatry was a chapter in med school it, it's not their their vocation it's not it's not what they're specialized in it's not what they're trained in um and it's also valid because we have a healthcare system that is absolutely flooded with people who perhaps don't have a diagnosis yet feel as though they are in a genuine medical crisis and are presenting for a panic attack or an anxiety attack or a non-acute medical issue and so it's all this gray area that just causes so much kind of uh, lack of direction lack of focus and it, it's it sucks because as a patient it holds you back from getting the help you need. And as a professional, you're working with a system that isn't, isn't developed to support those people. Um, but I mean, it, it's, you're exactly right. You know, you get your diagnosis and, and, and if medication is part of that, you, you work to find the medication that works and you work with the medical system as it exists to find the supports for that part of it. But at the end of the day, you know, what was my, you know, medication was maybe my number one for the first few months until it kind of killed those extremes for me. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, now you actually got to work for it. If you want quality of life, you know, this is literally going to drop to number 10 on your list. And you're going to find all of the things that support you and give you coping strategies and tools in your life to manage the symptoms that are essentially a chronic illness, you know? And yes, there are some people who are quote unquote cured of mental illness, but not in my experience. Like in my experience, this is, this is, you know, you, you take insulin every day to manage, you know, some types of diabetes, you take medication to manage, you know, heart issues and <laughs> mental illness is, is, isn't typically going away for people. It's about how to learn what parts of you are affected by it and how to best support those and putting in the work. I mean, it's, it's really about buying into yourself. Exactly. And like the way I, I see it and think of it too, is like, I don't, I had my gallbladder taken out, so I don't have that bile to help my stomach break things down anymore. So I take medication to help with my stomach. My brain does not produce the right amount of chemicals to keep me happy, quote unquote, normal, whatever. So yeah. I take medication to help that. That's all it is. So that's all part of breaking down the stigma because yes, there are still people out there who will call us lazy, who will call us incompetent, who just say that we're not trying. And my absolute favorite thing that I have been told multiple times is, well, have you ever just tried being happy? <laughs> Hadn't considered that. Like really, I, I, you're, I, you're depression. Thank you so much. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, and it's funny because I mean, I'm... Uh... I'm, I'm hardest on myself, right? I, I guess at this point, you can't put as much time into mastering mental health as I have and, and not come down on yourself when you know you're making bad choices. Um, and so I'm pretty quick to be on myself. I mean, one of the things I struggle with the most are taking days off today. I'm not, I'm not working out today. And it's like a battle to not work out because I know how much of a daily support that is for me. Um, but I have to remember that, you know, my body can't handle what I put it through every day if I don't rest. Mm -hmm. and, and it's learning these things It's learning the nuances of how you respond to 
you know, what's available to you. And, and quite frankly, I mean, people can suck. And, and if you, you know, stick around and, and check out my platforms and what I do and what I talk about, I mean, at the end of the day, there's not a word you want to mention to me less than stigma. I have no use for it. I have no use for debating stigma. I have no use for talking about stigma. It, to me, it's the most uh, ineffective word that we can bring into the mental health conversation. Because quite frankly, at this point, if you haven't figured out that it's real yet, you should probably just stop trying to have the conversation because you're not listening. Mm-hmm. And I have no interest in having conversation with people who have no interest in learning. Um, but to me, continuing to focus on stigma just brings about things like changing our language from mental illness to mental health issues. Well, a mental health issue didn't almost kill me. An illness did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm sick and, and I, I deal with an illness and I deal with it really well. Um, and it took almost losing my life to learn how to deal with it really well. And I'm proud of that. And you're not going to take that away from me by making a more gentle language that is less awkward and less uncomfortable for other people. The bottom line is, is it's about action at this point. Everything in my, in my belief system, in my experience, in my survival, it, it comes from action. It comes from having people in your support circle who will show up for you and showing up for others and and just figuring it out. Nobody's got all the answers. This is this is one cluster of a learning curve and and forever changing. And the bottom line is show up for each other. Just show up and and stop assuming that you know what? I have a fairly significant diagnosis on the mood disorder spectrum and um you could have the exact same diagnosis and I can't tell you how to fix you, but I can certainly tell you every single thing that I've tried. I can tell you how they work for me or how they don't work for me. But at the end of the day, I can simply say, you know what, girl, I got no clue. I got no clue what's going to work for you, but there are a thousand things to try. And if you're willing to try them, I'll be right here. Exactly. And it's that simple. Like it's just, it's, we, we try to make this so complex and and at the end of the day like every day you got to decide to wake up and care about yourself and everything else you know it it just kind of it starts to become routine it starts to become easier it does it really does and there are days that you're gonna have that are better than others you're gonna still have your dark moments but they're not gonna be as dark they're not going to be as long when you have those coping mechanisms, when you have the services and stuff like that. And I agree. We're like, we're 10 years into Bell Let's Talk. That has been um, an organization and an event day aimed at raising money for mental health, aimed at bringing information about it to to the public and stuff like that. And kind of ending the quote unquote stigma that, yeah, like this is a real thing and this is what it is. Here are people's stories. And like, again like you said uh previously like i you were a hockey player what does she have to be depressed about like you're on the top of the world like blah 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 and i remember a few years ago michael landsberg was interviewing somebody and i want to say he was a former hab and he had they had just won the stanley cup so it must have been the last cup that the habs won and the second that the 
the the clock hit zero and the cup came out all he wanted to do was get the hell off the ice he mm. did not want to be there and i and like you sit there and you, you won the stanley cup yeah but when you have kind of like similar situation like when i won the senior a women's provincial i did once it was done i was like i don't want to be here i didn't yeah. feel like i was a part of it I was done. I wanted to go home. I wanted nothing to do with that scene anymore. And it's like, when you're just having that day, it doesn't matter what happens. Sometimes you can win the Stanley cup. It's still not enough sometimes. And a lot of people just don't, if you don't experience it or you don't know someone and you're not in someone's support group, it's, it's so hard to try to translate what's going on in your brain sometimes Mm -hmm. Just someone else has never experienced that. Well, and that's that's a hard part of it too, right? Is that oftentimes it falls on the person who's in crisis, or it falls on the person who's in, who's in grief or in in pain to make it okay for others. And it, it's this weird kind of reverse expectation where it's kind of like you know, <laughs> well, hang on, I'm really sorry that my panic attack is making you uncomfortable right now. Let me talk you through it. This is all that's happening. Like my yeah. body just feels like I'm dying right now and I can't breathe, but don't worry, it'll pass. Like, yeah. and, and it's tough too. I mean, like for me, hockey became, hockey became something that was a safe space for me when I was playing it, but being in the locker room, being in the hotels, being, you know, on the planes or, you know, traveling, uh, that was the hard part. You know, it wasn't the hockey. It was, that was like the only part that made sense to me. It was, you know, having to get there and having to, to manage that process and to elude what people may or may not be thinking. And of course there's the, what I assumed they were thinking because that's what anxiety and panic does to you, right? Well, they're laughing at me. They're talking about me. They're judging me. They're, and that battles 20 times harder than the sport ever was. Um, and so, yeah, you get to the end of the game and it's like, cool, that was the part I like. That was, that was the part I needed. That was the part that served me. Um, you guys deal with the rest now. Like I'm, I'm out now. I want to go back to my house. I want to be alone. I want to I shut the door. I want my safe space and I don't want to have to answer for it. Exactly. Um, and I think that that's a part that, that, people struggle the most with right and and it's not so much it's equal parts I I think you know there's this portion of it that is um kind of the part of us wanting to hide but it's also on us a bit because when you aren't willing to say I'm not okay you can't assume somebody else knows that so then there's that judgment of well, you don't care that I'm falling apart right now. Well, hang on a sec, because it's equally as much on us to say I'm not okay. And it's about finding those safe places to say I'm not okay. And, and then, you know, making your own choices. And, and sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it's, uh, it's, it's so many nuances around the illness that make it the biggest battle, uh, more so than some days where it's just, I can go through the motions in my routine, and I, I'm fine. But put somebody else in the picture, make me take care of somebody else, make me make it clear for somebody else. And I mean, for me at this point, I'm speaking back when um, I wasn't managing it well, but that sucked. You know, you did want to hide. You did want to, I remember the first time I won worlds playing inline team Canada's hockey. And it was just like, 
we won and everybody's like yes and I'm like where's my hotel room <laughs> like I want to be in my hotel room and I used to have to request to have my own hotel room alone like it was a big thing for me it was the only thing that made it possible for me because I needed to know that when I needed to like come down from that and decompress from that and just deal with how exhausting it is trying to keep everything under wrap while you're trying to to get through those moments I need I need it to be a space that I can kind of retreat to after and people just don't how could you understand that if you don't if you don't have the experience if you don't have the feelings if you don't have the the, the yeah the experience I mean how could you explain that to anybody you just won worlds you know I, I, I I'm in Colombia we win the world championships I'm I'm a world champion I won the you know most valuable goalie of the tournament or the most valuable player of the tournament and the second it's done I'm like guys like you guys are going to party and I just want to hide like I just I literally just want and it's tough right because they want you they want to celebrate your accomplishment with you they want you to be a part of it they and, you know, you, you never want to try to stop to explain that to somebody. That's, that's awesome. And that's great. And, 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 I, you know, I love you girls and I'm so happy I was part of this, but I really just need to retreat now. Like, exactly. that's, that's the pinnacle. That's all I had in me. And it's not that I don't care. It's not that I'm not happy about it. It's not that I don't want to rejoice it, but I'm exhausted. And my exhaustion isn't because I just had to play a tough game. My exhaustion is because mentally what I had to do to get through this, what I had to get do to get through traveling to Columbia, what I had to do to get through, you know, being away from my routine and my people and my supports and my day-to-day existence for weeks and what I had to do to, you know, compete every day. It wasn't about the hockey. The hockey's easy part for me. Um, it, it's about everything else that is so hyper acute all the time. And now I just need to come down. And it's just kind of like, yeah, how can you explain that? It doesn't make any sense. Exactly. And I remember I was doing, um, I co-own a video production company as well. And we were doing, like when COVID wasn't totally insane, a documentary on discrimination and different things like that. And I remember speaking to one lady and she was so knowledgeable. And she said, you know, there's so many people that want to educate themselves about other people's cultures um and experiences and lives in other countries but it's not our job to educate you it is not my job that anyone can just come up to me and say hey you have different colored skin or you're a different religion tell Mm -hmm. me what that's like yeah it's like there are people that are willing to stand up like you in the mental health community and that are willing to have that conversation and and that are willing to, to share their stories, but not everyone is. And it's not all of our responsibilities to have to share that. And it's like the only way and the quickest way when I don't want to kind of have to tell and talk to people about that is there's a difference between feeling depressed and being depressed. So when yeah. you tell me that, oh, you know, I was depressed when a family member died. Well, I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. That sucks. That hurts. That's normal yeah. depression. And that's grief. exactly that's just part of the stage the stage but when you're having a great day and you win the lottery or you get a promotion at work and you go home and you really just do not care Mm -hmm. and it feels like whatever I got it it's whatever and you just play it all off that's the difference is when 
you literally can't feel emotion and you can't feel joy. Yeah. That's and, and I agree with you. I mean, not everybody signs up to be an advocate. Not everybody signs up to talk about it. And um, I think that's partly why I accept that responsibility because for me, I was able to, I was able to do it. I was able to be in a position where um, uh, I, I can manage that. I can handle that. It, it, it is something that I've learned to be effective at. And so I accept that responsibility. Um, but you're right. Not everybody is an, an advocate. And you can't force somebody to be an advocate. But I, I get, and this is a gray area in a couple of spots in my life. So I'll use those examples to help me explain it. But the two most prominent examples I can share, um, my wife and I, we lost our son uh, two years ago. She was 32 weeks pregnant and atrocious, horrible, devastating. Obviously one of those things nobody should ever have to go through and it was horrible. Um, But again, it's one of those situations where you have to make everybody else okay with it, right? Like you you know, you, you mentioned that you lose a child and people are immediately uncomfortable. And it's like, how, how can I make it okay for you so that I can talk about this? Because I don't want to pretend he didn't exist. I don't want to pretend it never happened. I don't want to, but I also don't want to deal with the fact that me mentioning that is going to make people like crawl out of their skin. (laughs) And and it's fair because it's a level of grief that gratefully most people can't connect to. It's something that a lot of people don't have the experience to connect to. Um, But it's on me whether or not I choose to share that. And it's on me whether or not I choose to acknowledge it. And I'll be honest, there's days where it's, you know, you ask me, how many kids I have. And I feel with every part of my being the necessity to say, well, I have three, but one of them's not with us anymore. Because I somehow feel like I'm diminishing his existence by not acknowledging that. And there's other days where you read your audience and it's like, well, shit, I'm not bringing that up because this is, oh, I don't know if I could swear on your podcast, but I'm like, you know, I'm not bringing that up because then I'm going to have to deal with how horrible that is for everybody else. Um, and another completely separate occasion. And it's kind of the same reason in the same light. It's, you know, so when my wife and I were getting pregnant, obviously we had to use a process to achieve that. Um, and people are curious about it and people ask questions about it. And you get some people who are like so offended when people ask those questions, like it's, you know, and a lot of people, it's that same thought. It's that same it's not my responsibility to explain this to you. Go Google it, go look it up. Yeah. And so, I mean, you get people, my wife included, who get really offended when somebody's like, so tell me about it. And it's like, no, this is like, I don't come to you to ask you to explain what happens in your bedroom. Like, don't ask me. Um, And then you get people who don't know better and ask questions like, so who's the baby's father? Well, you don't ask a lesbian couple who the baby's father is unless the baby's father is part of the baby's life. The baby doesn't have a father. They have a donor. Um, But then this is where I go. And this is where I differ. And perhaps what makes me a willing advocate is my answer is if I'm not willing to answer that question, then how do you ever get educated to the difference? And so 
I, I tiptoe on both sides of that argument because there's the part of me that understands this is the role I've accepted, but there's also the part of me that thinks we can't get pissed off at people for not understanding if we're not willing to at least, if not offer them information, offer them a place to find information. And so I think that there's a middle ground there that we can make a powerful case towards how much better are we when people are educated. And, yeah. and in some instances, no matter how ignorant the approach may seem, you know, somebody asking me who my son's father is, I don't think it comes from a place where people are trying to be disrespectful. And I don't think it comes from a place where people are trying to be ignorant, even though that's how it sounds to some people. And so I always kind of err on the side of if it's something I don't want to talk about, it's kind of like, you might want to consider your language and do a little research on how that might come across to somebody. Um, I'm extreme on the other side because I don't mind the fact that I've put myself in this role. So I'm kind of like, no, 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 <laughs> hang on. My boys don't have a father first off, but second off, let's sit down and explain this. So you don't stick your foot in your mouth somewhere else. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, it, everybody's got to be comfortable. Everybody's got to be respectful, but, but it, it goes both ways, right? I don't think we can be critical of people who don't understand if we're not willing to help them learn how to understand. Exactly. Like I remember one of my best friends is gay and he was at one of our new year's parties. And one of my friend's boyfriends was really hitting it off with him well, and they were getting along and buddy, buddy. And he kind of just went, do you mind if I were to ask you some questions? Yeah. Because I don't know very many gay people. And he's like, I just, I just curious about a couple of things. And he was like, shoot, ask away. Yeah. it was as easy as that like just kind of asking that permission it's like you know what I'm a little curious would you be someone willing to answer exactly or speak on that and exactly it's not like like you said earlier we don't have to sit here and change the language about everything and make sure that we're keeping everyone's emotions in check and we're not trying to offend people like we're not trying to offend people but at the same time it's you got to understand how all that kind of stuff comes across and yeah at the end of the day just don't be a jerk well, and I think it's also just kind of basic. I always find that it's easiest to kind of draw parallels to things that people are more likely to understand or that are more widely educated on. Um, you know, and it's sad, but cancer seems to be an illness that most people understand or have been affected by or know somebody who's been affected by. So there's a general sense of empathy around the topic and, and maybe not even empathy, but understanding at least. But I mean, as somebody who's never undergone chemotherapy, I'm never going to walk up to somebody in the middle of a chemo treatment and be like, oh, I totally get it. Like, yeah, I understand this is horrible Um, because you just wouldn't do that. It it would be so obviously wrong and so obviously offside. Um, And without that level of uh, it kind of connects, it just it would be careless. And you would know that because it's so obviously careless. And and like, or to draw a parallel, you know, as you just did between depression and grief. And yeah, losing somebody you love can, can be devastating and wreak havoc and be chaotic and be messy and confusing and hurtful and heartbreaking. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it is different. And I think to, 
you know, again, to draw a parallel, you know, if somebody is living with depression and you don't know how that feels, like, I mean, it is a general sense of hopelessness that is, is unexplicable. And, um, you know, you would never go up to somebody in the middle of a chemotherapy treatment. If you've never experienced it be like, Oh yeah. Like I'm really tired too. Cause, cause I had a hard day at work and my stomach's pretty upset as well because, you know, I ate Mexican for lunch and ate, like, you just, it's such careless kind of parallels that people try to draw. And, and again, I, I tried to do the whole like glass half full thing as much as I can, which is frustrating and annoying for some people, especially when you're living with depression or dealing with depression, because it's patronizing and people want to kick me and that's fine. I'm fine with that. I'm okay being that person. Um, but people don't tend to try to empathize out of a malicious place like it's not as though I'm coming to you and being like oh like I get it It, you know I I had this horrible day too and it was so sad and I'm so like why why bother there's no point um for a lot of people it's a genuine intention of trying to make a connection so they can be supportive And don't get me wrong, you're always going to get the people who are like the one uppers, like, oh, you think you got it bad? Well, guess what happened to me? Um, But I I always try to keep that in mind, I guess I I always try to keep in mind that, you know, if somebody comes at you with something like that, it's not typically a, a, a contest. It's not a, it's not meant to be a, it is that place of discomfort. It is that you're trying to make a connection and draw a comparison that allows you to become a support to somebody. And I don't think people genuinely understand how offensive that implication can be to somebody who's on the other end of it. Exactly. And so, and so again, that's, I mean, to me, that's the importance of having conversations like this, right? It's the importance of having just candid conversation where it's like, meh, maybe some do's and don'ts, not best practice to walk up to somebody who's like in crisis and be like, yeah, I had a really crap day too. And, you know, I spilled my coffee on myself and got a parking ticket. And you're just kind of sitting on the other end of that going, okay, but I don't want to be alive anymore. Like you're not, not only is this unhelpful, but now you're frustrating me because you clearly don't understand it all. Um, but yeah, that's the importance of these conversations, right? It's the importance of kind of putting it out there and, and allowing people to hear it. And sometimes, you know, this is the best venue for it because they can hear it in the comfort of their own space and they can analyze that and they can play that through and they can, you know, have those moments of, oh crap, I've done that before. Or those moments of, oh, you know what? That's that's a good way to approach that, um, which is awesome because it, it's 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 not uh, obtrusive. It's not, it's not that kind of people feel like they're being put on the spot. It gives them a chance to process. So it's, uh, it's exactly why things like this need to be talked about. Exactly. And that's why I wanted to do this, this for the end of the month is just because we have Bell Let's Talk Day coming up. So I said, let's just do a nice conversation. Let's get talking. I've got, uh, I talked to somebody who is part of an organization that connects people to services here in North Perth and in Huron area. I have the Canadian Mental Health Associations here on Perth board coming on to talk to us for the podcast as well. So I wanted to make sure we had everything covered. I wanted people to hear stories of those from in our community. I wanted them to hear 
what services are available, what organizations are out there that, you know, this isn't, depression is not a nine to five, mental health isn't nine to five, there are 24 hour services out there. And 2020, what a year of from hell that was for a lot of us. <laughs> Going into 2021, there's 20 over. Right, we're, <laughs> we're extending 2020 and we start in like five years, probably. Yeah, yeah. And 2021 holds so much uncertainty. But a lot of these organizations have been able to adapt so well with being able to do things virtually. Nothing is nine to five anymore. If your local hotline is is overwhelmed with calls uh, because everything is virtual, you know, you can call another location instead. They're still there to help you. You're not permitted just to call your one organization. So that's what the joys of these conversations are, is, is to educate people who don't go through stuff like what we do. There are people who don't know people like us, who've never heard this conversation before. And for those who are just still sitting on the fence going, I don't think that's me. You know, they're not quite sure. Just go and have that conversation with your doctor and just say, hey, let's just chat because I think there might be something going on. And I want to know what I want to do some tests and I want to know what you think. Well, and not only that, too, but I, I think that, you know, there's this misconception that we have to wait till we're in crisis to, to realize there's a problem. And uh, to be quite honest, I mean, I, I look at, you know, what I do to manage my mental health, and I look at what my daily routine is, and I look at, you know, the services that I have to engage in. Um, and shy of my medication, there's nothing I wouldn't recommend for every single person in this world to engage in. I mean, talk therapy, it, it's not made for mental illness. It's meant for people. It's meant for people to kind of say out loud the crap that's going on in their life and have an impartial opinion given back to them or perhaps a different viewpoint. And I mean, I got to a point with my psychologist is, you know, the second I said it out loud, I'd kick myself half the time and be like, oh, that's just okay. Clearly, obviously, this is silly and I need to change this. Um, and you just build these these tools and these strategies and these these supports that become second nature to you. And really, it's about wellness. I mean, at that point, if, if you're getting, you know, what you need to feel supported in your life on a constant basis, you're far more likely to avoid crisis in the first place. You're far more likely to get to a place where, you know, hopefully you never have to understand how difficult the psychiatric system is. And hopefully you never have to learn about the wait lists and hopefully you never have to go through that crisis. Um, and it's just really good practice for everybody. Like, I mean, it's really, you know, talking about services, am I offering a service right now? I don't know. But you know, I went onto my platform on Facebook, and I, I through my Facebook platform just said, you know, we 2020 is is wreaking havoc, we've got concurrent pandemics on the go right now. And mental illness is, is certainly surpassing where we are right now. And uh, I had an occasion before Christmas, I had one of our communities up in, in Bruce County, um, we had four suicides in a week. And, you know, I, I want to say that it's shocking, but it's, it's unfortunately what people are dealing with right now. And so a second, the second they mentioned the second lockdown, I, I jumped up and I said, you know what, guys, that's it. Like I'm showing up every day. I'll be online live every single day of lockdown. And so every single day I launch a 10 a.m. video on my platform and it's, it's live unless I'm at the fire station. Um, where we launch a daily challenge and every challenge is simple. It's just, 
things that I've used as tools to manage my mental health and that you can maybe build into your day or, or just use it to pass the time while you're bored right now. And on the other side at four o'clock, we do a live video every single day. Um, and, and had some, like today, I've got Michael Landsberg and Corey Hirsch, Hirsch joining me. Um, and they're all up there, right? Like on the days I'm at work, I have somebody come in and do a yoga class for people and just things like that. So it's about staying connected and showing up every day and learning from these conversations and learning from each other. And, and uh, you know, it just gives everybody an opportunity to check in and, and just remember that you're not alone in this. And, um, you know, it's not perfect. It's not, it's not a perfect thing I'm doing here. It's not, I can't promise you it's changing anything for anybody, but I know for me just showing up once a day and checking in with people, it's relevant. It, it, it's, uh, it's real. And on, on really crappy days so far on the days that I'm like, Oh God, I got to figure out what I'm going to do at four o'clock. Um, you know, I've had days like that and I put it back out to them and said, here guys, here's my zoom address, sign in with me and just talk to me. Cause I got nothing to talk about and I got nobody to talk to show up for me today. And all of a sudden you're having a conversation with 20 people you don't know. And you're, you're, it, it becomes something relevant every day. And, and I mean, it's that simple. It, it's that simple. It's about getting every single resource of what is going on in the areas out there and hit and miss, right? Just, just keep, keep reaching out, keep trying, keep showing up for each other, keep checking in with each other, keep staying present and connected and thank God for technology right now. Um, oh Yeah. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard of Amber Mack. She's a phenomenal voice in the space. And I had her on yesterday live for an hour. And, and it was just talking about, you know, I used to be very not for technology when it came to mental health. I thought it was more isolating. And my God, have I had to pivot? Because now, could you imagine doing this 20 years ago and we didn't have these tools? And everybody was actually isolated at home. I, I mean... I get to meet new people every day right now doing stuff like this. And I'm just kind of like, okay, I feel a lot less alone because of it. And what's stopping anybody from doing that? Well, well you know, like I just, it's, it's brilliant. So. Exactly. Social media can be such a cruel, harsh, harsh, disgusting world to be on. But then at the same time during lockdown this year, I mean, I, I found my community finally after 10 years of uh, being diagnosed with mental health this year during lockdown, I found a group of friends and we're all big Jonas brothers fans. And we started this big Twitter group chat and turns out we all kind of pretty much share the same brain. We all think the same, we all support the same kind of stuff. We're all like enlightening things. We're all from different countries and, and all over the States and parts of Europe. And it's just like, you know, I used to avoid, going on social media when I was having one of those days, it's like, I can't look at that. I can't see what other people are doing. I can't, cause I'm going to compare myself yeah. and I'm going to put them here and me down here. And then I find this group of people and all of a sudden I'm like signing into Twitter every morning when I get up, I got to see what my girls are talking about. I got to see what's going on. I want to, you know, I'm having a bad day. This is what's going on. And it's like an how technology has helped that. In one minute there, you just diminished our entire conversation because now everybody knows you're full of it because you just pretended the Jonas Brothers have fans in more than one country. And like, so now nobody believes anything we've just said. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just joking. I actually like the Jonas Brothers. I'm just giving you a hard time. 
<laughs> you were about to hang up on me there. Right? Oh, yeah. And conversation. <laughs> and oh, delete. No, like, and like, that's the weird thing. Like, people don't get that. Like, that's my coping mechanism is the Jonas Brothers music. Like some, those songs have literally saved me sometimes. Yeah. And it's like, it's weird to kind of explain that to certain people, but at the same time, it's like, it works for me and I'm going to stick to it. So I was Sorry, about to say, guys, was it but that's what but that was the Hansons, right? Yeah, exactly. What? I could be blasting <laughs> Oombop all day long. You know, <laughs> that would be a lot worse. You could be. You could be. Exactly. I don't know. I got Baby Shark at my house right now. So. Yeah, I mean, whew, Baby Shark, <laughs> brother. <laughs> they kind of weigh out there, but yes. Oh, Kendra, I can't thank you enough for sitting down and chatting with me this morning about all this. I would love to have you back whenever you're free. We're going to do another couple things on uh, mental health week. I think is June or May is mental health month. May. Yes. I've got my giant list for uh, our new initiative. PBJ cares is our new initiative this year. So every month I'm talking about something else. We're doing little foundations and charities and fundraisers. So feel free to always Use my platforms if you want. You're welcome to share your stuff there. Make sure oh, that uh, people get drawn towards it. And wow. uh, um, yeah, fill out your calendar because I think mental health has like a different day every month now. So yeah. you've, you've got like psychology month and student mental health month and suicide awareness day. And oh, yeah. 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 Got a lot awesome. of days for it. Let's just let's just make it constant and do 365 days instead. It should. That's what it should be. Exactly. It shouldn't be one day on the calendar. It's an everyday thing. You got it. You got it. All right. Well, Kendra, you say hi to my buddy, Michael Landsberg, who I've been talking to lately and say hi from me and you have yourself a great day and you and your family stay safe out there. You as well. Take care. You as well. Kendra, I cannot thank you enough for joining me here today on Desks and Dusters. We recorded that one a little uh, while ago. I think it was last week now. Everything just seems to be flying by. Now, I'm going to remind everyone again, today is Bell Let's Talk Day. Check out Kendra Fisher on her social media pages. I'm going to link you guys in the in the uh, description. Make sure you check her out. She's got Facebook. She's got Twitter. She's got Instagram. She's probably on LinkedIn check it out. She's got some great stuff. She goes live basically every day. She has different challenges for you. It doesn't matter whether you're struggling from mental, from mental health and issues or not. She's just someone great to follow, to keep up and keep a positive spirit. So bell let's talk day, use the hashtag, hit up your favorite social media accounts, hashtag bell let's talk five cents will be donated towards mental health services here in Canada. That is right. Now, I am going to be speaking to everybody here, whether you are on the fence about mental health, whether you are suffering from mental health, you know someone, or you're one of those lucky people who it hasn't affected you at all. You're never alone. We all have bad days. Some of us more than others. We all go through things differently. Everyone's body works differently and everyone's brain works differently. So my challenge, I'm gonna challenge you guys, is I don't want you to have to just think of your own opinions all the time. I want you to open up your minds and I want you to try to be more understanding in life of other people's issues. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to go through and do all this research all the time on all these different issues. I'm just trying to say, put yourself in somebody else's shoes and try to see it from their perspective if you can 
and try to be a little bit more understanding. I think if we were all just a little bit more understanding of one another in life, things would just go a little bit more smoother and we would just live in a little bit more of an accepting, happier society. So what an amazing episode. I'm going to stop talking. There's nothing else I can say. I am so happy about this episode. I'm so happy Kendra was able to join us. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Bell Let's Talk Day. Go out there, do your thing, do some good. And I have nothing left to say. Have a great day. Be sure to catch Desks and Desters on all your favorite podcast platforms like CastBox, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Join us for Desks and Dusters, through PPJ Cleaning Depot every other week.